All right. Well, good morning, everybody. So uh, I guess it was maybe about a month ago or so, something happened with our contemporary worship band, and I told it all to you. Jenny Herr, who plays our cello, did, was not here, and she's not here today, which means a great travesty has happened. Let's have a moment of silence. I did not get my second and third cups of coffee this morning. <laughs> On a day such as this, the worst day of the year, <laughs> where we have lost an hour of sleep. So it is okay. I am filled with the great power of the Holy Spirit. Everything will be fine. So. But uh, she's watching. I wanted her to laugh at that. But anyway, so we are in the middle of a, of a uh, worship series. This is Lent. This is the second Sunday in Lent. Oh my goodness, it's just going fast. And it is uh, called Just As He Said, and it is about the promises that Jesus makes in the upper room. The upper room, if you don't know, uh, it's in all the, all, the, all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John really does expound upon it a little bit more than the other Gospels do, but it is a master class, really, in just theology, a master class in the Gospel of Christ, of what he's come to do, of what was said in the Old Testament, now it's coming to fruition now. It is just a phenomenal thing to take some time and really, really look at it. And that's what we're doing as a church. And even the time that we're really, really looking at it is not enough. You could, you could spend a great, you probably spend a year and what is being taught in this upper room teaching that happens in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in John beginning, I believe, in chapter uh, 13 through chapter 17 in the Gospel of John. And so uh, I hope that you will enjoy this journey. You'll come along with us as we see the assurance of our hope. How do we know? How can we take it to the bank that Jesus is the King of King, kings, the Lord of lords? How do we know and put our full trust in him? And it's because just as he said, the things that he said that he was going to do, he did. And he completed them, and he did it in such a profound way that we can't help but feel uh, full of the love and grace that he pours out upon us. So that was all free information. The sermon starts now. How many of you have ever been to New York City? Raise your hand, New York City people. Yes, right. Well, we're in Ohio. We're close. And if you go to New York City, what is, what is, what is one thing you absolutely must do? Shout it out. Central Park. Anything else? Statue of Liberty. Statue of Liberty. Radius. Where are my artsy people? Broadway. Thank you very much. If you go to New York City, Central Park's nice. Sure. Radius City, a distant second. You go and you see a Broadway show. At least that's the way I was brought up. You go and you see a Broadway show. And the Broadway show that I was first introduced to as a junior high kid, my uncle and aunt took me and his kids, and we went to New York City, and we saw Les Miserables. How many people have ever seen this musical? Now, if you have seen this musical, you know that's probably not the best one to start off with, because the musical, quite honestly, is phenomenal that everything else that comes after that. I think in that trip, we saw Les Mis, and then we actually went to Times Square. There's a ticket booth in Times Square where you can buy cheap tickets. And I think we went and bought another show to see because we were waiting for this one, and it was uh, Grease. And so if you have Grease and Les Mis, <laughs> I mean, it was great. Grease is fantastic, but not, not Les Mis. All right, why am I talking about Les Mis? If you know the story about Les Mis, it is... It is foundationally the gospel that's in there. Now, they've got 
lots of stuff in that musical that you think, is that the gospel really? But you got to get into just the, the nuts and bolts of this musical. And there are, so real quick, there are some characters in there. The main character is Jean Valjean, right? And he is the protagonist. He opens up the musical being in basically a concentration camp of sorts. He's in jail and, and, and hard labor. And he's in jail because he stole a loaf of bread to help feed his family. He was arrested and he was now sentenced to and an inordinate amount of time in prison. Now he comes up for parole at the beginning of the musical and we meet his antagonist. We meet his foil. We meet the, the other person that is going to be a part of this musical that's really just going to throw a cog in the system. And his name is Javert. He's the inspector. And so Jean Valjean comes up for parole and Javert says, okay, you can have your parole, but you'll always be a convict. And he has to keep to the parole. Now what happens is, is that Valjean can't get a job. He can't do anything. He can't get his legs underneath him because he's, uh, he has this little piece of paper that says he's on parole. Can't get a job. And so what happens is he finds himself in a monastery with a bishop and, and eats there and dines there. And then he decides that he's going to steal the bishop's silver. And that's how he's going to start his new life. And so he grabs it and he leaves and he runs. And of course he gets caught and the, they bring him back to the bishop and they're like, you say what you did to this bishop, all these police officers. And the bishops look at the police officers and say, no, I, ga I gave him that silver. That's it. And he looks at Valjean and he says, you left the best behind. And he goes over and he gets these silver candlesticks and he hands them to Valjean and says, here, these are yours as well. He says, thank you to the cops and the cops go. And then the bishop looks at Valjean and says, now see a higher plan in this. That I am giving you these for you to start a new life. To not basically run in this, this way of, of being a convict. Your soul has been bought for by God and sends him on his way. And then the rest of the musical, we see Valjean doing exactly that. Basically laying his life down for the people in whom he loves. At the end of the musical, now I'm, I'm fast forwarding through a lot. At the end of the musical, we, we know that he has adopted a daughter and he has taken care of this daughter, Cosette, and now it's time for him to die. And he looks at Cosette and he says, I want you to know your story. It is a story of people who loved you. Your mother gave you to me. It was a woman that worked in his factory. He owned a factory, and he took this child in. Your mother gave you to me, and, and this is a story of, of those who always loved you. And the ending line of that song is this. To love another person is to see the face of God. It is such a profound statement. To love another person is to see the face of God. What does this have to do with Jesus in the upper room? Let's go to the upper room, everybody. In your minds, travel now back into Jerusalem, and we're here at the upper room. Jesus is with his disciples. He's got them around a table. They're reclining. They've just had communion. They've had the Passover feast. He's told them this is a new covenant I've given you, and they're kind of like a little shell-shocked on that of what all that means, that my sins are completely forgiven by him. I'm eating his body. I'm drinking his blood. This dinner got way real, way fast. This is kind of where they're at. And then he continues to kind of teach. And he says to them, 
In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open them to that. We're going to look at the Gospel of John today, and we're going to look at the, the letter John writes, 1 John. That's where we're going to bounce around. And as he gathers them together, he's finished washing their feet, as the Gospel of John tells us. He sends Judas out into the darkness to fulfill the betrayal. And he turns to his disciples and he turns up the heat just a little bit. Verses, actually, I'm going to look at verses 31 to 35. Chapter 13. When he had gone out, that's Judas, when Judas left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. He said, now is the, it, the time is happening, everyone. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And he looks at his disciples and he says, little children. It's a term of endearment. Little children. Yet a little while I am with you. And you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so I now say to you, where I am going... You cannot come. Pause here for just a second before we turn up the heat. And that's pretty, that's pretty warm. He says to his disciples right here, before we get into the promises of things, this is kind of a promise too. I promise you where I'm going, you cannot come just yet. Now picture yourself a disciple. You have been with Jesus for three years. And the world around you knows you to be with him because of proximity, because of your nearness to Jesus, of doing life together, of eating together, of doing ministry together. That is like, that's the wind in my missionary and evangelical sails is that I am with Jesus in physicality. He is with me. Now Jesus looks at him and says, this three years has been great, but I'm going to go and you can't come just yet mind blown. And then he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Where this is coming from is coming from Leviticus. There is a passage in Leviticus that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus teaches us that in the gospels as well. He says there are two great commandments. The first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, now here in the shadow of the cross, in the march to Calvary, as the time has come, he turns it up. And he says, a new commandment I give to you. And it's not so much a new one as much as he's now going to explain the weight of what this commandment means. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And the promise, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you're the, the wind in your missional evangelical sails is not necessarily going to be my physical presence with you. Your wind in your evangelical missional sails, you know when I say evangelical, I mean your ability to preach and, and share the gospel with others, your missional, your feet moving and taking it to folks. The wind in those sails is going to be how you love each other from the source of my love for you. How you love one another, how I have loved you. Now you go ahead and do that with each other. It turns the command a little bit inward 
Because he is talking to his disciples and he's saying love one another. One another is actually one Greek word that we translate into two English. One another. It's actually one word. And it means like a mutual togetherness. Like there's a, there's a relationship there. You love one another as disciples as I have loved you. And the promise, all, everybody, the Greek word for all is panta. And the meaning of that is all. All in Greek means all. So there you go. You can take that to people you know Greek. What does the Greek word all mean? It means all. Everyone. All. All will know who I am because of how you love one another. It's an amazing, profound promise. And it is. And what we're going to see today, there's, there's, there's two um, subpoints to that that really explain it. All will know that you are mine by the way that you love one another. It's a twofold promise that says loving one another within this community, within this, this koinonina is the Greek word for that, this fellowship. Loving one another will radiate my truth, my gospel to people. People will see it. Light. You will be light because of how you love one another. And then it also means that loving one another in the way that Jesus has loved us will make him known. It will shine a light so people will notice, and it will preach the gospel. It will make him known. This is what is being promised. This is the pinky swear that Jesus is giving to his disciples right now. I tell you this, you can't come with me, but what you're going to do as you go out there, make sure that you love one another in the way that I have taught you, in the way that I have shown you, in the way that I am going to do on the cross. You love each other in that way, and I guarantee you that the world will notice. They will see your light, my light, radiating off of you, and they will know who I am. You want to dive in? So what does this mean with Lamez? The end of Lamez is to love another person is to see the face of God. I'm going to turn that also on its head for us today. And the thing that I want you to remember here with this promise is to love another person is for them to see the face of God in us. To love another person is for them to see the face of God in us us. How does this work? Are you excited? I'm excited. This is a great message for Valentine's Day. It's almost St. Patrick's Day. It's fine. This is great, right? What does it mean to do this? So the first part, loving one another radiates God's love to the world. It shines a light unto the world. People will notice by the way that we in this room love one another. This is how people will know. It kind of reminds me of when I was a teacher. You see, Jesus has taught his disciples everything that they need to know at this point. And in the Gospel of John, he's kind of he's giving it the final teaching, right? He's giving them to it all. And now the test is, can they, without him being there, can they, can they live this out? Can they pass that assessment? When I was a teacher, I was an AP language teacher. Do you know what AP language is, what that class is? It's an English class that teaches kids how to write and how to argue. It's a fascinating class. But it was advanced placement, which meant that those kids stayed with me all year long. And then at the end of the year, they were given a standardized test, an advanced placement test. 
in which they would then now have to perform. I can't be in that room with them. I can't hold their hand. I can't be next to them. I can't say, look at letter C. I can't do any of those things. All I can do is the day before say, hey, we did it. We've done it. Now is the time. You go and you take that test. And the thing is, is that if they pass that test, it reflects on them being able to pass. They get college credit. But it also reflects on me. Everyone in the school, my peers, my teaching peers and comrades in arms, they, they get the scores just like I do at the end of the year at the district summary. And they see where I rank based off of how my students did. My students' performance in passing that test and living out what I have taught them reflects on me and makes me known with other folks. He's a good teacher or he needs some help. This is what's happening here with the, with the, with the disciples, with Jesus' kids. He says, I'm not going to be in that room with you, but you're going to go out and you need to pass this test. You need to live out the way in which I taught you. So loving one another radiates the love of God for the world. It demonstrates that the disciples' ability to live out what they have been taught. And basically what he tells them there, what he's telling them here, it's going to matter how you grow together. It's going to matter how you live together. It's going to matter how you do ministry together. It's going to matter how you lay your lives down for one another, just as I have laid my life down for you. That comes from the letter that John writes back in 1 John. And if you have a second to jump there, you can with me. But 1 John is a wonderful literary commentary on the gospel of John. So John writes his gospel. He records everything that he learned from Jesus and then writes these three letters. 1 John is this great commentary and explanation of what Jesus says here in the gospel of John at chapter 13, love one another as I have loved you. Thank you, John, for taking the time to go ahead and explain this teaching. Amen, thank you. And this is what he says in 1 John chapter 3, which is not 1 Peter, which I'm open to. In 1 John chapter 3, verse, verse, verse 11, he explains what this means to radiate the love of Christ and how we love one another. John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So John's doubling down. This is not new. Love one another. This has always been a part of it. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one who had murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Remember, this is written after Jesus has died and gone on, right? So, so John understands that now that they're living this out, they are going to live in such a way that the world's not going to like them. Don't be surprised at that. We know that. We have passed out to death into life because we love the brothers of our faith. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no matter... Uh, you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, but this we know. This we know. This is what we've been taught. This is what we understand. This is what we ought to do. This we know, love, that 
he laid down his life for us. This is what Jesus meant. When Jesus was got us all together in this room, he said to us, listen, I'm going to leave, and now you need to love each other as I have loved you. Well, here in his letter, John says this is what he meant. This is what he meant, that we know this, that he laid his life down for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Does that mean that I am to put my life on the line for you, Kathy Lehman? Does that mean I'm supposed to put my life on the line for you, Maynard Yoder and Bill Gross? Not Bill. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> for other Bill and I, we have a great relationship. Does that what that's supposed to mean here? What if I was to tell you that the answer is yes? What if I was to tell you that the answer is yes? Look around in this room. Take a minute, look around. There's friends in here. There's family in here. There's probably people in here you're like, I do not want to sit on a committee meeting with them. This is the heart of the gospel that Jesus died for. And he says, listen, your light, my light that shines through you will be seen like a lighthouse in this world, first and foremost, in how you love each other in this room. How you put your life on the line for each other in this room. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go out and die to make this happen. But what it possibly means is you put yourself second. Isn't this humility? That you put your comforts aside for the comforts of others. That when you hear a brother or sister is hurting, you go to them and you minister to them. You bring them food. You pray with them. You stay with them in the darkest of their hours. You go to the hospital room and hold their hand when no one else can hold their hand. You do those things for them so that they see and that they remember and that they know that God so loves them. Because even though he is not here in his physical presence, he has sent his ambassadors for his love and his light into this world and into this family to love each other in such a way at great personal sacrifice that you lay your life down for them so that they also know who Jesus is and be reminded of that. And when we do that, it's the nurses and the doctors who see what's going on. When we do that, it's the neighbors in the neighborhood who sees why are all these cars here at this house? Someone just died in that house. Won't they leave them alone? Why are they there? It's those folks who begin to see those interactions and come to realize that there is something different about this person's life, that they are not alone, that they are not doing this life alone, and that there are people, just folks that surround them in their time of need. Love one another as I have loved you. Put your pride, your agenda, your comfort aside. Do whatever it takes for the other person, be it a fellow believer or be it not. See, that's the thing. It's not I would, I would even turn the heat up even more. It's not just for us in here. That's primary. But this should also put the wind in your missional sails too. Love one another in here as I loved you, but love the world too as Jesus has loved you. Break your backs and go forward and try to help people who are poor and who are sick. 
And do so not so that you can ratchet up Jesus' points. Do so because your heart breaks for that person who is lost. And that in that moment, listening to that person's story, giving them a can of food, whatever it is, that moment, know that the Lord's light shines through you. In fact, the Gospel of John in the, the previous chapter says that the light is here. It's happening. But if you profess that you are of the light but hate your brother and sister, if you profess that you are of the light but you don't love one another, that you don't do those things, that you just live for yourself, then there's no light in you at all. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love text, love is faithful, love is kind, you know what he says before he launches into that? That if you know everything there is to know about the faith, if you have it all, but you don't love, then you're just noise. You're just noise in an already noisy world. So Jesus says, don't be noise. Love one another as I loved you. Lay your life down for one another. Because that's what I've done for you. And in so doing, you radiate this light into the world. You cut through the noise so that the world will know that I am their God. To love another person is for them to see the face of God. You get to be image bearers. That's a great order to have, isn't it? That's a great thing to, to be able to walk into. It should bring joy and a skip to your step. Not unless you're like me. So as I was putting this, this passage together about what it means to break your back and put your life on the line, and then I thought about it, I'm like, how does that look like in my everyday life? How does that look like to humble myself, to put others second, and to love other people the way Jesus has loved me? Because I definitely feel and profess that the Lord has loved me. I don't know why, but he does. And thanks be to God for that. That how does that show up in my everyday life? And then I was convicted. And Carrie's here and she can attest to this. So Carrie has married me, thanks be to God. And one thing that she has noticed about me is that I think, she thinks that I think that I have a stage whisper. Do you know what a stage whisper is? Where you kind of say something off to the side and, just kind of, and you think no one can hear you, but everyone can hear you. And so if I'm ever in the grocery store or if I'm ever in line at a fast food place or if I'm ever in somewhere where I'm waiting for something to happen to me, I'm holding the door and they don't say thank you, the stage whisperer comes out and says, you're welcome, and I close the door, right? And the look on Carrie's face is total mortification. She's like, you, they can hear you. And I'm like, that's the point. If my grandmother is watching, I got it from her. Grandma O'Shea, I love you, but we always make fun of her for her stage whisper. My mom's the same way. Carrie went on a weekend with my mom and my sisters, and she says, oh, I see where you all get it. This stage whisper. Well, sometimes you got to keep a record of wrongs and tell people what they're doing, right? Ah, uh, what does Paul say? Love is faithful, love is kind. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love one another as, as I have loved you, says Jesus. How often are you in the same boat, right? You profess the Lord, you love the Lord, right? But 
you come across someone that's just not the greatest, <laughs> that does, doesn't say thank you when you hold the door, and, and maybe you, you fly off something, and it feels good in the moment, but does that really radiate the, the love of Christ for them, the love of Christ that you know to be true? I'm not saying that to make us just feel bad about ourselves. It's a, it's a conviction. It's a work, we're a work in progress. We have to, the, the more that we're aware that those things are happening, the more that we can call that out. And the next, next time, try, try not to do that. And the next time again, still. And the more and more that we faithfully try to walk in those ways, the more we'll, that light shines and we radiate that love that he has for us. That's the first part. So the second part, love one another as I loved you. I'm saying that to love another person is for them to see the face of God because God's light radiates off of us when we do that. But at the same way, not only does it call out to people for them to see, but it also makes him known. It makes him known in the world. One of the best examples that I could see, and I won't have you turn there, of that is in the book of Acts. You know, in the book of Acts, after Peter gives his big sermon and the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, there's this passage there in chapter 2 that talks about the church and what the church did. You know what the church did? Their fellowship, their koinonia, their one anothering. They got together. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the Lord. And they had fellowship with one another. They broke bread and they had wine. They did the whole communion thing. They got all of their goods, all of their resources. They pulled them together and they gave to anyone who ever had need. And you know what it says at the end of that passage about that first church? It says that the Lord added to their number daily daily God brings people into that fellowship because how these folks are loving one another is in such a way that it is a light into the world and his name is known and so he brings people daily can you imagine the great movement that we would have here if we did things like that if we looked beyond just word and deed but we actually showed up in our love in action C.S. Lewis is quoted in your bulletin. He says, the type of love that Christians have is not a, a, an affair of feelings. It is an affair of the will. F.D. Bruner, if you go to that quote, he's also quoted too. The mutually lived out heart love of Christians for one another will be the single greatest missionary force in the world. I'm going to leave you with this. In the gospel of, or excuse me, in the letter of John, now in chapter 4, we get, we get John explaining to us how loving one another, as Jesus has loved us, preaches the gospel, and it makes him known. When I read this again this morning, and I looked at this, I thought, oh my goodness, it's like an apostle's creed right here in this book. Because what the, John, the writer, does is he explains this great love through the Father, through the Son, and through the Holy Spirit. We can take this promise to the bank that if we love one another as Christ has loved us, that it will preach the gospel because of the way that John explains it here. Because this love is not just any old love. This is an agape love. This is a sacrificial love. This is a love that you give to people that they don't deserve, but you give it anyways. And that they receive it and forever 
change. This is a love that lays his life down and a love that has been foreordained by the triune God. Listen to the words. Chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. In this, the love of God who has made manifest among us that God sent his only son, second part of the Trinity, into the world so that we may live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but he has loved us that he sent his son to be the propitiation of sins, the person who's taken the place for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected, ongoing perfection in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his, part three, the spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God God abides in him and he in God so that we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So know that when you love in the way that Jesus has loved you, from that wellspring source of that love, know that what you are doing is you are engaging in a triune God-ordained love. That when you faithfully live that out for others, expecting nothing in return, you radiate God's love for them and you make him known. So that by the will of the Spirit, if it grabs their heart, they will know who Jesus is and they will know that you're his. To love another person is for them to see the face of God.